Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Well, hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me for episode 21 of the High Income Business Writing Podcast. I am your host, Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to take their writing businesses to the six-figure level or the part-time equivalent. As a reminder, you can find detailed show notes for this episode by going to b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 21, the number 21. So if you're swimming or playing ping pong or hand gliding or anywhere where you just can't take notes right now, don't worry. These are very detailed show notes that you can reference later at your convenience. So most freelance writers I talk to are very passionate about never wanting to go back to a regular job if they had a regular job at one point. But Many of them do miss the steady paycheck of a regular job. And in fact, that's usually one of the only things, if if not the only thing that they miss about traditional employment. And that begs the question, how can you add more predictability to your freelance income? So what if you could have the income predictability of a regular day job, but still have the freedom and all the great things that come with a freelance writing business. Well, I'm going to be showing you several ways that you can do that over the next few months. I'm going to have several podcasts that address this issue because this is not the kind of thing that you can solve with just one new strategy. But let's get started on that discussion by addressing one potential solution to this income variability dilemma, which is adding more projects that have kind of a steadier demand that are more regular in nature and they can bring you a more steady income. And one of the projects that uh, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of that is newsletters, newsletters, writing and producing newsletters for clients, email newsletters specifically. My colleague, Michael Katz has made a very good living over the last 13 years writing and producing and managing email newsletters for clients. And I wanted to get all the information I could from him. So I interviewed him recently, picked his brain, and we had a really lively discussion, very interesting, information-packed. And uh, that's what I'm bringing you this week. In in this interview, what you're going to learn is, what is this business all about? So what does this type of service entail? What can you charge And how can you lock yourself in with clients who can actually pay you anywhere from $700 to $2,000 or even more every month for writing, producing, and managing their email newsletters? So let's get right to it because we got a lot to cover, and I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. All right. So I'm sitting here with uh, Michael Katz, Chief Penguin. Uh, likable expert uh, and all that good stuff. Welcome, Michael. Great to be here. <laughs> hey, so first of all, you got to tell me about the whole uh, penguin thing. I never asked you this before, but what's what's the story? Why blue penguin? How did that come about? Uh, I consider it a happy accident. And the accident part is I started my business in 2000 when the whole dot-com thing was happening. And so 
Um, I was going to name my company MichaelCats.com because my focus <laughs> was going to be on helping companies get on the web. Uh-huh. And I remember I, uh, I left my job and I decided to take a month off and, you know, kind of take a little time off. And I was mocking up a business card for myself. And between my email address and the name of the company, my name was on the card like eight times. And I, even I was sick of it by the time I looked at it. And I thought, eh, that's no good. And it was a little too, you know, about me. Um, I briefly toyed with giving it some generic marketing name like, you know, strategic marketing solutions. And then, and this was an insight that, that was new to me having worked in a company my entire adult life. I can do whatever I want. And I really had this idea one day like, oh. I'm not restricted by anything. And so I literally thought, well, I really like penguins and I needed some modifier. I considered calling it flying penguin, bald penguin, because I'm bald. Uh, (laughs) You know, I like blue and there you go. And I I, I named it development, blue penguin development, because I I didn't know at the time that it would be a real marketing thing necessarily that I was doing. So development seemed generic enough. So that's the accident part. The happy part is that because I gave it a tangible thing as the name, you know, not only does it suggest a logo, but it's very memorable for people. If I gave it some, you know, strategic marketing or whatever name, you know, nobody would really remember it. People remember Blue Penguin um, as it's so it's become a, a brand unto itself without my, you know, spending, of course, millions of dollars promoting it. So it's been really good, but a total accident. You know, I I completely agree with you there. It's it's actually uh, it is memorable. I remember. I didn't tell you this when we, we. So for those of you who don't know, Michael and I spent some time in Chicago. We presented at a at a workshop for uh, American writers and artists. And um, what I knew of you years ago. And this must have been two thousand three, two thousand four, when I was getting started. Uh, and I think I bought. You, did you have a couple of ebooks back then on newsletters? Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah, must I have bought. You know what you had, and you know it was really good stuff because I was starting a newsletter of my own, and I never forgot that. Like the the name, uh, I may have forgotten Michael Katz, but Blue Penguin. I I remember the name, and I remember your face. You know, like associated with. Sorry. It. <laughs> you know what's funny too is um i think this has changed too people used to really before you know we forget that even 10 years ago while google was around it was not this ubiquitous thing the way it is today and so people would work on a url that others could remember like that mattered um but today like if i wanted to find you i, I would just put in like you know ed gandia writing or actually your name's unique enough it would probably just pop right up so in my case um you just put in like Michael Blue Penguin and you'll find me. So it actually makes it easy for people to find you, regardless of what your company's actually called. That's exactly how I found you, by the way. Because when I knew we were speaking, I wanted to look you up. And because I remembered that's the next time I heard about you. And uh, I, I did Michael Katz Blue Penguin or Michael Blue Penguin, something like that. So, yeah, very cool. cool. I've been meaning to ask you that. So, um, very cool story. And I think a, a great lesson there. Uh, so, today we're talking about. Uh, newsletters and specifically the opportunity for business writers in the uh, newsletter arena. So let, let's start by defining. I know that might sound basic, but I, I want to be on the same page with everyone here. We should define what this opportunity is about from the writer's point of view. So who were the potential clients for this type of work and what types of newsletters are we talking about? 
Yeah, that's a great question because newsletters, the way I look at them, they're a subset of email marketing. So some, a lot of times people will equate newsletters with all that is email marketing, and they're really a particular type. And even within that, the kind of newsletters where the, there's an opportunity for writers like us are, are distinct from like what Target might send out with a special. I mean, I guess at some level that's a newsletter too, and people will certainly use them interchangeably. But what I'm talking about are informational, content-heavy, useful mm -hmm. newsletters. So there's nothing wrong with sending promotions and all that, but the concept here is the newsletter is a proxy for the writer, whether it's a company or an individual, getting together with somebody in person. Like, if you could have lunch with everyone you knew, you wouldn't need a newsletter. Yeah. You know, if you could do it every day or you know, every month. The newsletter is sharing a little bit of knowledge and insight and personality in a way that helps somebody learn something. That's why it has to be useful. They don't want to get it just because it's about you. Um, and the problem people have and the opportunity for people like us is that most people hate and or are terrible at writing. Mm -hmm. But they understand there's an opportunity here because if you don't stay in front of people, whether you're a company of one or a company of a thousand, you've got a problem. And so where we come in is we solve this essential problem. It's, uh, you know, it's the biggest stumbling block everybody has to newsletters is, you know, if you can't write or you hate it, you can't get it done. So we solve that for people. Yeah, yeah, right. And it's the kind of thing, it's not a one-time thing either. So people, I would think that uh, potential clients who can't write also hate the idea of not only can I not write next week's, but this is like an ongoing thing. And the thought of it just makes me cringe. Right. So it's funny because I, I spoke to a, a business group last night. And so, you know, one of the things I was talking about was, okay, it's great to stay in touch through Twitter or Facebook or, you know, sending people birthday cards. That's good stuff. But none of that makes you an expert in your field. You've got to create content in some way where you share your point of view. And I, and I, I don't want to scare people who are doing nothing. So I always say, look, produce one thing that won't get old that you can give away, like a free download kind of thing. And yes, a newsletter is better because it repeats. But don't, don't bite that off yet if you're not doing it because you'll never do it. It's too big a commitment. But the truth is... It doesn't solve the bigger problem, which is I need to be in front of you in an ongoing way over time. And that's where the newsletter is so beneficial because it repeats and repeats and repeats really forever until somebody says stop. And that's why it's such a good marketing tool. So let's talk about what this type of work involves. Again, from the writer's point of view, um, are we talking about just the writing? Is there design work involved? Is there some consulting? You know, yeah. what would be the deliverable here for a client? Well, I like to think of a newsletter like a magazine. So a magazine has three parts. There's a design that is kind of the same every time, like Time Magazine looks the same every week. Same with a newsletter. There's a design. It's more or less a one-time event where it's set up. Then Time Magazine has a delivery mechanism. There's people who subscribe, you know, whether it's online or they mail it to you. There's a whole back-end kind of thing. Newsletter as well. You need some way to deliver this because it's really just a glorified email. And, you know, there's all kinds of vendors from Constant Contact to MailChimp who cheaply and easily do this for you. And then the third piece, again, like a magazine, is there's content which changes every time you publish. 
The mistake many writers make is they just show up and say, I'll do the writing for you. Mm -hmm. I'm a writer. That's what I'll do. Two problems with that. One is the typical client who you're going to do this for, they want as little to do with this as possible. So I find that most people, not everyone, but most people who run a business, particularly if they sell a service where it's sort of a less tangible thing, a five-minute discussion about, hey, staying in front of people you know over and over again, that's a good thing, isn't that? Don't you want to do that? People will nod their head, yes, I agree, that's good. But they don't want to get into the design and the back end and the setting it up and all that. If you just show up and say, I'll give you the words, you take care of the rest. You've solved maybe the biggest problem for them, but you haven't kind of taken them all the way home. And when I first started doing newsletters, that's what I was trying to do. Like, hey, here's your word. Here are your words. Yeah. <laughs> get it out the door. They couldn't do it. They didn't want to do it. What I learned was I need to provide one-stop shopping. I don't necessarily have to do it all myself. So, for example, I'm not a designer. I hire a designer. I could do most of the back-end setup, but I have a tech guy who does that because it's not really my strong point. Like your listeners, my skill is essentially writing. But I package it as one-stop shopping. And so now I can say to the accounting firm or the financial planner or whatever, hey, I'll do the whole thing. All you have to do is let me interview you, and we can talk more about what that's about. So they have to provide me with the, the information, because I'm not an expert in accounting or finance or whatever. But that's it. I'll take care of setting it up, the back end, the design. They approve it, of course. But when, now, once I went to that and said, oh, you don't have to worry about it, now people were ready to buy. Again, not everybody, but it allowed by, by offering them a one-stop shop full package, I made it easy for them to buy. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I would think also, especially with the types of businesses you're talking about, so small and mid-sized businesses, uh, I would think if you're you know doing this for a much larger uh, corporation, they might have some of these pieces already in-house or maybe somebody. But uh, I know that uh, – in fact, well, let me ask you. I don't know. Do you think the sweet spot is kind of that uh, small to mid-sized business with this opportunity? I think the sweet spot is less a function of size than it is a function of what they do. So when I first started doing newsletters also, I did them for anyone. And what I discovered after a while was the less tangible the thing you sold was and the more what you sold was interchangeable with your competition, the more valuable this was. So, for example, I could do a newsletter for you know a pet store or someone who sells sneakers or something, and that's okay. It keeps them in front of people. But... The differentiator between one pair of sneakers and another is a sort of tangible thing. You, know, you can pick it up and try it out. A financial planning firm, on the other hand, or any professional service provider, consultant, coach, um, doctor, they're, they're all selling the exact same thing as their competition. Every law firm sells what the other firm sells. You know, people may argue about who's better than who, but the truth is your potential clients and even your existing clients can't tell the difference. Like, you don't know how good an attorney your lo your lawyer is. Yeah, they're all selling legal services. Yeah. All and so financial planning. So when you're in a world that's that generic, the differentiator, which, again, was I didn't realize this at first, are the people. But it's not their legal skills or their finance skills. It's their personality their point of view, the way they interact with you. I mean, if you think about, you know, if you love your doctor, it's not because she's a great doctor, because you don't even know. You don't even know where she went to medical school. 
It's because, you know, it's little things. She treats you like a human being. The magazines are nice in the waiting room, whatever. So what I found with the newsletter is the perfect combination is a combination of useful information, but also a natural, authentic personality that reflects the company in question. And the perfect sweet spot are these people who sell professional services. The other great thing is, in general, these people we're talking about, consultants, coaches, recruiters, attorneys, they're not marketing people. They're definitely not salespeople. They're people with a particular skill and, and what they want are enough clients and they want to do the work, but they don't want to get the work. So often the newsletter is their marketing program. That's all they do. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm looking for clients who find what I do to be, you know, in some sense, sort of magical. And so for somebody like that who does no marketing and then starts doing a quality newsletter, it can have a big impact on their business. If, if your newsletter is one of a thousand marketing things that the company is doing, it's not going to have the same impact. So you don't end up sort of being perceived as valuable. And, and I think it's not just perceived, it's true. You are more valuable to that firm that, that looks the same as its competition and doesn't do much marketing. So anyway, that's the sweet spot. I don't think size matters. It's more difficult as there's more people involved, but you, know, you tend to charge more, um, so it kind of works out either way. Let's talk about what's involved. What, what's involved in, in doing this kind of work? Um, and you know, you mentioned that uh, there's more to it than the writing, and you want to take you know as much of this as possible away from the client. Yeah. But let's talk about the pieces. So, mm -hmm. once you're in, what does this take? You mentioned an interview. You mentioned yeah. writing. You mentioned working with some other partners. Yeah, and let me also say that one of the reasons it's good to offer this as a one-stop shopping is it's easy for the customer to buy. The other is, if all you're selling is my writing skills, now you look like that generic guy who's the same as 10,000 other writers. Ah, you don't want that. Yes. You want to make it, and this is true, of not just writers, any of us who sell professional services, you want to make it as difficult as possible for me to compare you apples to apples with anybody else. And if you say, I'm a writer and I charge 75 an hour, well, great. There's some other guy at 65 an hour or 50 an hour. You know, it's a losing game. When you package your writing up inside of a thing called a newsletter service, now, not that someone else couldn't offer sort of the exact same thing, but you've sort of complicated the decision for your potential client. There's not as many options, and you're, you're offering a more complete thing, which makes it easier to sell, makes it, you can price it a lot higher. It keeps you, you yourself from being a commodity. Um, in terms of the way to do it, I, I, here's how I describe it to clients. It's kind of a two-step process because a newsletter is a very front-loaded thing. You have to figure out how it's going to look. You have to set up all that back-end, constant contact kind of stuff. And then you have to figure out who's the audience and what's the voice and what are you going to write about and, you know, all that stuff. I have, I have those discussions over usually like a two-month period up front, and I call that building the machine. And that phase ends when we launch the first newsletter. So when I sell it to people, I sell it as phase one, we figure the whole thing out, set the whole thing up, all the messages you need and all that kind of logistical stuff. And we launch. And when we launch, the machine is done. The second part is you have to publish this thing over and over again forever. And so there I just out of convenience, since I'd usually do it monthly, 
I charge people usually on a quarterly basis. It's just easier than invoicing them every month. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all my clients are on the same quarterly basis. So, you know, January 1, April 1, everyone, I send out my invoices. And um, it sort of makes it easy that way. But by separating these into two phases, it's p- easy for people to understand. And what you want as someone selling this is you, you by no means want to give away the machine building piece because that's where we'll do a lot of work. But it's the whole, you know, razor blades and razors. You make your money really on the client who publishes month after month forever. I've got three or four clients I've had for 10 years. Wow. I mean, that's just, you know, that money just keeps coming in, which is great. And they're easy to work with because, you know, we've been together that long. And, and that's, that's a good thing about this business. There's an annuity element to it. Gotcha. But you should definitely charge something for that building the machine part. Oh, and, and a significant something. Now. Yeah. Again, I always say to people, and I said this, you know, at the, at the conference that we uh, where we met when I was talking to people. If you're just starting out, just get yourself some clients. So don't worry so much about yeah, maybe you do a lot of work in the launch piece. You can always raise the price on the next client on the front end piece. But in the beginning, what you want are to start accumulating a sort of a stable of monthly clients who you work with over and over again, and. It's nice because it gets easier and easier. I, I had a call just before this call for like an hour with these two clients. I've had two people who own a market research firm. I think they've been clients, I don't know, seven or eight years. I mean, it's so efficient. They email me, hey, how's next Tuesday? We get on the phone, we talk, we work it out. Now I've, now my job is to take the notes and go off and write it up and put it in front of them. And, you know, we've been together long enough that it's rare. I mean, maybe once every few years where they say, oh, this, you know, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Usually it's pretty much on what they want. And so it's nice because you learn how to write in their voice and you kind of learn their industry and all that. And I know that the, the range, I'm sure it's pretty wide, but can you give me a rough idea of uh, how time intensive it is to build a machine, phase one, and then the ongoing newsletter work? What are we talking about yeah. time-wise? Um, so the way I like to do it is I tell people it's a two to three month process to build the machine. Um, I like to meet with them either in person if we're local or on the phone if we're not once a week over, you know, whatever it is, eight or nine or 10 sessions, whatever it takes. And I don't know, I'd say I tend to spend longer with people when we're in person just because you end up sort of shooting the breeze over coffee, but I'm probably on the phone with them for like 90 minutes each time. The reason for the week in between is you could compress it, but a lot of this discussion in the beginning, like before you get into the the logistics of like what color should the banner be, I really like to get into it with people about, well, who's your target audience? And how do you want to come across? And what business are you you in anyway? And so it, it often becomes these sort of broader discussions and people need time to digest that in between. If I did it in two days solid, the result wouldn't be as good. I once had a client hire me and say, hey, let's do it in one day. And I said, all right. And it wasn't nearly as good. This stuff needs to percolate a bit. Mm -hmm. Plus, as you start getting closer to the end, there's other things that take time. You need to have a designer setting it up. There's some setup on the, you know, on the constant contact or MailChimp side. So, you have it starts to necessarily spread out, but two or three months is sort of a comfortable period of time. Um, I, you know, I don't even do the math on time because I don't do it. I do everything flat fee, so it doesn't matter to me how much time it takes. 
Yeah, yeah. And, um, and that's the way, but what, what we promote around here too, by the way, for everything. Yeah, and so as long as you're charging, you know, a lot, it doesn't matter if some people take more than others because, every, you know, you're sort of making a decent profit on everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on a monthly basis, I offer two flavors. So one is the one I described. I interview you. That's about twice as expensive in terms of how I do it as another way, which is I coach you on doing it. And the larger, more established, even this, even solos, but more established people tend to want the interview because they, you know, they, they're busy. They want to spend as little time on this as possible. They'd love it if they didn't have to spend any time with me. But the way I do it is, hey, it's your knowledge. That's the key here. So I need your stuff. If I go research it on the internet, it's not your insights, which is what ultimately people are buying. The, the coaching model is the client has to write the first draft, mm-hmm. which to me halves the price. <laughs> yeah. Because the hard part, like, again, I talked to these guys an hour ago. The hard part is I got an hour of notes I've been typing while they're talking. I got to sort that out into something, you know, usable. It's a lot easier if someone goes here. And it's kind of okay, but, you know, it's not really well written. And my job is to just move stuff around and fix it. And I've priced it in a way that I'm actually impartial as to which one they choose. Because one's twice as expensive, but it's also twice as hard. So it allows me when I talk to a client to say, hey, there's two ways to go here. You do it or I do it, whichever you want. I've had people switch from one to the other. And I, and I really don't care. And, and that works out pretty well because this way... I'm not, I'm not boxing out the people who want my help but can't really afford for me to interview them. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's give me a range of, if you can um, on you know if you're starting out. Let's say you're you're a very good writer, but you, you haven't done this before the newsletter thing. Yeah, we talked about uh, phase one about how hey, when you're starting out, just get some clients, just get it going. You can mm-hmm. you know you can build that out later, but yeah. Uh, once you're established, what do you think is a reasonable range to build that machine? Well, so if you, th- you want to think about what's my out-of-pocket cost, so there's the designer and there's, to some degree, the tech guy. Mm-hmm. So here, too, I used to say to people, well, here's my fee, and then we'll go get a designer, and, you know, he or she could cost you, I don't know, 500 to to $1,000 to design it. That was okay, but again, I was introducing uncertainty into the equation for my client. What I've been doing now for years is I say, it's all included. This one price will get you a newsletter. And I tell them, I'll have this guy design this thing a thousand times until you love it. Like not, you know, you get two passes and then the clock starts running. I found I don't need to do that. Most people, again, they're not trying to waste my time. So if you have a good designer, so, okay, I think the most I ever paid out of pocket for a client design was like $1,300 because I had a you know, very sort of picky company. Uh-huh. But so what? I've had clients where it cost me $200. So by saying to the client, I'll deal with the variability, not you, again, it makes it easier for them to buy. So, but, but anyway, that's a real cost. The tech guy, not to get too technical here, but... The designer will design the way it looks, but he or she is just designing essentially a picture of the newsletter in something like Photoshop. Uh-huh. To send it out, that picture has to be kind of wrapped around the engine of constant contact or MailChimp or whatever. 
most designers don't know enough to do that. It's a, it becomes a pretty techie thing. So I find I have a tech guy who takes the design and he like builds it in constant contact because that's who I use. So in general, my cost, you know, if I'm under a thousand, I'm feeling pretty good between those two people. Okay. Um, so back to the question of if you're just starting out, I mean, the first newsletter I ever did, I charged a thousand dollars for that upfront cost, you know, but that was 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. I, I would say, you know, 2000 to 4,000, if you're just starting out, mm-hmm. but again, you don't want this to be a stumbling block, but you don't want to give it away either. And someone who, you know, you want someone who's going to pay you on an ongoing basis, you know, hundreds, if not over a thousand. And so if they can't st- step up to a one-time fee of 2000, yeah, they're probably not a real good client anyway. Yeah. Now I should say also, some people take a different approach, which is almost more like the newsletter factory approach. They try and churn out, you know, 40, 50, 60 newsletters for clients every month. And that, that can work too, but I don't do that. I'm, I'm more of sort of a custom shop, if you will. I produce maybe 12 or 15 a month. Yeah, and that's that's still quite a bit, but I'm with you. I mean, this is not – we don't promote the content mill here, uh, mm-hmm. you know, anything close to that. So um, uh, I, I can see why that might sound attractive, but that it has some serious disadvantages. So Yeah, and you're, it's, a, it's a totally different business. It's you're, different you're, business. Running a, you're running a factory. You yeah. are. You are. And I, and I don't, I don't want to do it. So – but again, so that you know, I'd say two to four thousand, which again could seem like a lot, but you're going to spend a thousand just paying the people who are helping you. Exactly, you do have some hard costs. Yeah, and then in terms of the monthly, you know, that really can be all over the map. But if you're going to interview someone, you know, there's no way you want to do it for less than I don't know seven fifty. I guess you know it depends, but like. It'll take a long time sometimes, and if you're gonna fix and then you know seven fifty and up, I mean I think the most I ever charged a big company for once a month was like six thousand a month. Oh wow! But but you know I earned my money. I went into a meeting with ten people and then legal and PR and I mean it was a lot of work to get that thing signed off on. Yeah, yeah. I'd much prefer the yeah uh, the the two person company, but you know I guess sort of the sky's the limit on the top, but. I'd say if you're just starting out, seven fifty. If you had to interview them, and you know maybe half of that, if you were going to just um, fix it, it, you know you got to figure out do the numbers add up for you. Like you know if you can if you can handle fifteen clients a month paying you X dollars, is that the money you need? And you know everybody's going to have a different answer. I'll tell you something else though. When I first started with newsletters. I remember sort of having the insight that, boy, this is a great product. In fact, that was my second lucky uh, accident, which was I sort of stumbled onto newsletters as a marketing tool for myself, and I realized how effective they were. And then I realized that people needed help with writing, and I was a good writer and all that. And I remember thinking, this is great. I love doing them. They're really effective. But when I ran the numbers, there's like no way I can like make a living off of this. Mm-hmm. Until it occurred to me one day to like triple my prices, and then <laughs> and and then suddenly it worked. What an insight! <laughs> yeah. So whatever I always tell people when they're starting out, whatever number you're cringing at because you think it's too high, you will laugh at in five years. So just raise it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And laugh sooner. 
True, true. And listen, it's, yeah. it's, uh, there's enough uh, demand out there, which was actually my next question. Um, there's enough demand out there that you can afford to experiment a little bit. And hopefully you're not approaching this if you're if you're interested in doing this, you're not approaching it with a mindset of, oh my gosh, I got to pay the mortgage in three weeks, and so I got to find someone like right away. Um, but I've never done this before. <laughs> yeah, well, it, you know, it varies. But I'll tell you, I have a client. I, I have a year long coaching class I do, and I have a, a a a student in that class who does newsletters for doctors, and she's been charging something like eight fifty for you know a few years and she's kind of barely getting by and I just been kind of gently poking her for a couple of months and she just got a new client for two thousand a month. Oh wow. She went and from eight fifty to two thousand? Right. Now my rule is I never raise prices on existing clients. So she didn't bump an existing client, but I've been like, okay, the next person who comes through the door just two thousand. And you know, she's good. She's working hard. She's not like pulling a fast one on people. Yeah, yeah, she's un- she's been underpricing herself, and it it was hard for her. But boy, you can bet she was. I got a very happy email back from her. And now, it's, what's very ironic to me is that the more you charge, the more generous you can be with your time because you're not at the razor thin edge. And the people who are willing to pay you more are better clients. You'd think they'd be more demanding, but what I found is that the more you charge, yes, you lose people who just can't or won't pay that, but the one, the ones who remain will pay that because for whatever reason they think you in particular are really good. Mm-hmm. It's like you f- you filter out all but your real fans or people who for whatever reason like you and your stuff, and so the higher price leaves you with the most easy to satisfy people because they think you're really good. Whereas at the low end they think, oh well, freelance writer, if you're no good, I'll get another guy. Like you don't want to be in that. To me, that's called having a job where yeah. you're in, you're replaceable. You want to be differentiated in some way. That, and then it, again, everyone's happy. You make more money with clients that you like, and they like you. It's a, it's a it's a very virtuous cycle. That's actually excellent advice for I think any type of work, not just writing newsletters. Is um, just by raising your fees, you'll start working with just better quality clients. Period. Yeah, yeah, it's counterintuitive, but it's definitely true. So let's talk a little bit about um, uh, getting clients and the demand for this type of work out there. It would seem to me that you know we've gotten to a point. Uh, Ten years ago, maybe we weren't there, but today, you know, the whole newsletter thing is pretty common. So, uh, but you tell me. I mean, are we at a point where people in businesses kind of understand this, where you're seeing more and more people already kind of getting the value of this so you don't have to educate and do all the selling of why you need this? It's a funny thing. It's really because I've started – well, I started my working on my own in 2000, and I think I got into newsletters in 2001 at some point. Um, it's gone through an unbelievable change in those years. When I started, the biggest objection clients had to newsletters was that their clients didn't have email. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it was true. Uh, none of my people have email. I was like, okay, it's coming, but you know, no one believed me. <laughs> then maybe 2003 or four, it was, it was like white hot, like social media is today. People wanted a newsletter, but couldn't tell you why. They just thought they wanted one, Yeah, which isn't bad if you're selling it. Um, when, it, when the market's like that, what I find is you attract a lot of big companies because you have people who are like in the marketing department somewhere who are like, we got to have one of these. 
And they don't even care so much about the result as we got to have one. I mean, that's kind of how social media is for a lot of people today. Yeah. They can't, they can't give you a coherent reason of why because they haven't thought about that. They just want it. So that was very big. There's like two or three years. Like I couldn't pick up the phone fast enough. Then um, you may remember the whole sort of spam thing came about. And people said email was going to die, which, you know, of course it didn't. Um, but it became sort of more commonplace. And I actually started to worry that, oh, no, is sort of this the end? What I found was that what's happening now is there's this renewed interest in what people talk about as content marketing. Yeah. That's newsletters. Like, there's nothing new there. But I think people are realizing that email and newsletters and sort of longer format content doesn't compete with social media. Social media is, in many ways, the fuel because all those people out there trying to tweet and do everything else every day need something to point to. Like, there's, someone's got to be producing original content for me to link to it. So now you got all these people who are trying to connect to things so the people who produce the content get more visibility. So it's sort of coming back the other way. Um, I would say that the smaller companies and certainly the solos never left because they've, all they care about is what works. People in bigger companies tend to care more about what's trendy, which, again, a little counterintuitive. But the small guys, they won't spend money on something that's no good, and they will spend money on something that makes a difference. So they're, they've always been around. Um, in terms of how to get into it, and this is bigger than news, or diff bigger than just newsletters too, is you really want to narrow your focus. Like it'd be much easier to start doing newsletters for doctors, like the woman I mentioned, or attorneys, or pet stores, you know, whatever, than to just do newsletters in general. Because the more you can be seen as the expert or the go-to man or woman in that field, the easier it is to sell stuff. And that's true of everything, not just newsletters. I agree, but this is starting to feel like the kind of service where it's even more important to be that specific. You know, at least I mean, because it's because it's out there. Because it's out there, and in here you're developing real content all the time, so they want to know. Gosh, do you already understand how we operate? Do you understand our business or our industry? Um, yes. Although, no, it's funny. Well, two things. One is um, the the fundamentals haven't changed. Like I wrote a book on newsletters in 2003, which I'm kind of embarrassed to sell anymore because it's 10 years old. Everyone's still making the same mistakes that are covered in that book. So, like, people haven't gotten better. The other thing is nobody's gotten one bit better at writing. So, and, they, and, and you know what? And they never will. And that's what's great about what we do. It can't be outsourced to another country for $2 an hour because if you don't, if English isn't your first language. It's really hard to write well. And, no, you know, all the people who hate writing and are terrible at it, they'll, it this, it'll be this way forever. So that's good. Um, I agree. People want to know, have you ever done a newsletter for a financial planner before? And what's funny is, now that I've done it for, you know, not, certainly not every specialty in the world, but pretty much anyone who says, have you ever done one? The answer is yes. But I always say yes, but it actually doesn't matter. Because it's your information, Mr. Financial Planner, not mine. What I bring is an ability to turn your thoughts into something that like another human wants to read and to understand the newsletter fundamental stuff. And you do have to get into a bit of this you know, how long should the subject line be? How often do you publish kind of logistical stuff? But the truth is, I don't need to know anything about your industry, and neither do your listeners who are good writers. Your, our skill is, 
is pulling out the juice, if you will. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. So um, let's wrap it up with this. Would you say, could, could you make, as a writer, could you make a good living doing this type of work exclusively? Uh, or can you offer it as one of the services that you provide? Um, well, yes to both. I mean, I I did it exclusively for probably 10 years and only started branching out because I had other solos saying, hey, can you help me be a solo? So I now I'm more of a sort of coach and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I, I, I made more than I made as an, an employee in a good-sized company after, I don't know, four or five years. So, yes, absolutely. Um, I think a key is, again, specialization, one-stop shopping for people, and offering them these options. Like, I could do it this way or that way, so it's not just, you know, only one flavor. Have To me, what's made a difference for me. I love it. I love it. So uh, a couple of things I wanted to ask you about as we're wrapping up. Um, where can listeners learn more about you? Uh, the easiest way to find my website, well, of course, you could just Google Michael Blue Penguin, but michaelkatz.com will get you there. And I have a newsletter. And I should say, by the way, not only is this useful for your clients, it's useful for you, too, as a writer. So this is a great tool for us. I mean, it really works. And you know what else? I find it very helpful to be able to say to a potential client, particularly if you're going to make this the thing you do, that I have a newsletter, too. Like the fact that I walk the talk is very compelling to people. So I would say, again, since all of us on this call have, have figured out the biggest problem that, in that we like to write and we're good at it, you want to be producing this kind of content for yourself. But anyway, so I have a free newsletter that talks about, it's broader than newsletters, essentially marketing for solo professionals, and you can get that on the site, along with my most recent book is a free download. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so basically your newsletter is geared to people like us. Right, and for solo professionals, those are my people. Awesome. Awesome. And then I almost forgot to ask you, but uh, you have a course on mm -hmm. newsletters, right? Through American Writers and Artists. Uh, you exactly. want to talk about that real quick? Yeah. It's a, um, it's a, I guess it's, you'd call it multimedia because it's a, you know, written kind of thing, but we've also got some audio and some actual video things where I take people through newsletters and it's all the principles of doing a newsletter you know, all the things we've talked about, like, well, what should it look like? And how do you figure out your voice and all that? And it's geared towards how do you do this in the service of a client? And then it's got a, a significant section on pricing and talking to clients and how do you make all that work? So kind of what we've been talking about here in a lot more detail. Awesome. And I'll make sure to include a link to that in the show notes for this episode. That'd be great. So, hey, Michael, thanks for coming on. This is... Uh it's been eye-opening. This is uh, really cool, and I know it's been around for a long time, but my gosh, the opportunity in, with this service is uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, thanks. Always a pleasure, Ed. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I know Michael is a real pro at this, and I tell you, he is living proof that you can make this happen. He's not just doing himself, but he's taught many other freelance writers how to develop this side of their business, how to offer the service to their clients, and how to make a really, really good living doing this. So I hope you take his advice to heart. I wanted to let you know that his publisher for the program that he mentioned, American Writers and Artists, 
uh, is currently doing a promotion of Michael's program on writing and producing newsletters where you get $50 off the price of the program. This is something they do a couple of times a year, from what I understand, um, and I just happened to catch this at the right time when I contacted them about them to give them a heads up that uh, we had mentioned the program in the uh, episode. They let me know that, hey, this act- this promotion is actually running through this Friday, September 20th. So there's nothing you need to do in terms of coupon codes or anything. Just go to uh, the link you see in the show notes, and just a short link for that is b2blauncher.com forward slash newsletters, and you'll automatically be taken to a page that explains the program in detail and has the $50 off already in it. Just to make sure you understand, this is an affiliate link, which means that if you happen to purchase the program, we do get a commission here at B2B Launcher at the High Income Business Writing Podcast, and that just helps us keep doing what we do. So there's you don't pay any more. It's just uh, a commission that we get for recommending the program. We don't recommend anything here that we don't really believe in. As a reminder, you can grab the detailed show notes of this episode at b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 21, the number 21. A couple of quick announcements before we sign off. My B2B business launcher program sold out last week, but I've just opened two more spots. So if you're a new or aspiring B2B or business writer and copywriter, this is the program where I show you and I work with you personally to launch your business in 10 weeks or less. You'll have a fully functioning business and hopefully a client or two before the holidays get here. If you want to learn more about this opportunity, it's b2blauncher.com forward slash info, I-N-F-O. But the deadline to apply is this Friday, September 20th. And we start the program next Tuesday, September 24th. So not a lot of time left. Check it out if you're interested in learning more. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be very, very grateful if you shared it with friends. And the easiest way to do that is to use any of the sharing buttons that you'll see on the show notes page. Of course, you can also go to b2blauncher.com forward slash love. And it would mean a lot to me if you gave the show a quick rating or review on iTunes. If you're enjoying the material we've been covering here. And the easiest way to do that is just go to b2blauncher.com forward slash iTunes. I wanted to thank some of the recent reviewers on iTunes. Paul Patsloff, Angus Stocking, Cardob, Writing Pastor, and Dan1 underscore OB. Obviously, those are the iTunes names, but um, you know who you are. I truly appreciate the star rating and quick review. It means a lot to me, and it does help give the show higher ratings so that the people who really need this information can find it. So this brings us to the end of the episode. I am your host, Ed Gandia. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have an awesome day. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com.